Thank you for joining us for Court Screws and Contracts. I'm Wyatt Wallace. And I'm Jennifer Hamrick. And we started this podcast to really give everyone a little more information about real estate and investing in, in a new, fun, fresh way. We encourage you to grab a glass of wine and talk real estate with us. Today we are drinking Thor's Well. It is a Pinot Noir. Mmm, lovely. Mm, let's give that a try. All right, they know what to do in Oregon. <laughs> Today we have a fantastic guest, Chris Larkins. He's the managing director of Pico Slap, a residential property development company. He's responsible for acquisitions, financing, and negotiations. He actually has 10 years prior experience in business, including Extreme Gloss, a car care distribution startup company, which he began in 2002 and owned for 10 years, growing the company from a local market to national distribution. Since founding Pico Slap, Chris has developed and bought more than 50 pieces of property and is currently working to redevelop the Buchanan Arts District with key partners. Please help us welcome Chris Larkins. Thank you very much for having me, guys. Wonderful. Thank, Thank you for you. being with us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, I have to start off right off the bat with a great question from Jennifer. Go for it. So, Chris is a developer here in Nashville that owns Pico Slap. Correct. Correct. Okay. So how did you come up with that name? First, I got to applaud you for actually saying it right. <laughs> First time. Uh, second, my son, Diesel, when he's seven now and he was three, had an imaginary friend named Pico Slap. And he actually had like a whole community built around this person. And for six months, he just talked about Pico Slap. So I thought, it'll be interesting. I'll start a company and the next company that I start... I'm going to name it Pico Slap. And my wife said, you can't do that, you know. <laughs> so either the company is going to fail miserably, at which point it won't matter, or it'll be a raving success, and like Apple or something, it'll be nice that the name has nothing to do with the product or business that I'm in. That's where it came from. And actually, my son was kind of instrumental in me getting involved in real estate prior to that I was working with a company, making good money, is good time and things like that but they began getting involved in things that I just I wasn't really feeling I thought it was wrong frankly and I told my three-year-old that at the time and I said well what should I do and, and he said well you should just quit and I said what about money and he says don't worry about money you know, God will take care of the money so it's easy for you to say you'd be happy in a tree house but I would like more than a tree house but I thought I can't do something that I can't look my kid in the eye and do. Yeah. And uh, so I quit a week later. I didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, but it en it's ended up working out well. So there's that side of it as well, too. <laughs> I love that. When I heard you speak before, you did not share that part of yeah. it. So thank you for sharing yeah. that. That's awesome. And the logo, is that a picture of him? The idea is behind him, right. Uh, and it's that's kind of, I think, what it takes in real estate is that creativity you have to be creative in order to make it work and there's like there's a child like you know you don't underwrite like a child but there's a childlike concept that comes to every single project and idea where you capture something that's not there except in your head mm -hmm. and then you try to make it into some kind of a reality wow <laughs> never thought about it that way yeah right yeah yeah Knowing, and I, we talk about this a lot in real estate, knowing your why. 
and the reason why you do mm. what you do, why why you get up in the morning and you make those phone calls and and you set the meetings and mm. and uh, you know why you keep going back in the grind and you put him front and center. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, I'm fond of asking people, or sometimes they'll ask me, "Hey, I want to get involved into real estate. What should I do?" And I says, "Well, why do you want to do it?" I want to, I, the, probably the most common answer is I want financial freedom and I want to make money. So, so what does that mean? Like, what is financial freedom? Are you in jail right now? Like, what is that? You know, like, so now I want enough money to travel and not have to work anymore for money. So, so well, there's a lot of ways to do that other than real estate. Like, why real estate? You can make money. There's somebody that makes toothpicks and probably makes a fortune doing it. Why real estate? You know, and, I think sort of backing people into, there is always an ulterior motive other than the money. You make money at anything, mm -hmm. anything, right? If you don't have an ulterior motive other than the money, you're not gonna be good at it anyway. Mm -hmm. If you have a drive or inspiration into something, you'll probably end up making the money at it as well. And you will more than likely excel far beyond someone else that just has what they imagine to be a, a monetary drive. Yeah, I agree with that. Because this is, you know, the first time, once I got into real estate, this is when I realized this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And then you're able to figure out your why with that. I also lived in Los Angeles for a little while. Oh, okay. Yeah, great. Oh, yeah, you know, at some point, you know, I love the sunshine and the beaches and all that good stuff, too. And why, what, what? Uh, so a lot of people ask, well, why didn't you just get into real estate out there? What brought you to Tennessee? And, and the yeah, whole thing? well, I love L.A. first. I think there's no place like it. I mean, Dorothy clicking her heels. There's no place like home. There's no place <laughs> like home. I love it. When I was in L.A., I knew nothing about real estate. I mean, like nothing. Wow. Um, I met my wife in Los Angeles. She's from here, from Cookville. And I always oh. laugh and say... Nashville was the halfway point between LA and <laughs> So I came here 11 years ago. I knew nothing about real estate. I, everyone, I wish I had hindsight's 2020 or whatnot. Um, but yeah, she's actually what brought me out. I convinced her, truth be told, to come back here because Los Angeles was so expensive. Yeah. And oh, yeah. at the time, the internet wasn't. It was it existed, but it wasn't like the bedrock trustworthy source that it is today. So you, I'd hear these things about people buying a house for one hundred and twenty thousand dollars, and I thought, <laughs> yeah, right, that's a lie. There's no way, you know. If it's not at least five hundred thousand dollars, it's not even a house, right? I started looking more and more, and I realized, hey, wait, there may be some viability to these, you know, these rumors. Mm -hmm. And I asked her, she said, no, no, you'll hate it. She loved LA. You'll ah. hate it. <laughs> but for six months, we went through this and then finally sort of convinced her, like, let's just go do it. She was adamant about not going to Cookville. So wow. I'll go to Nashville. I said, okay, I've never been there before. <laughs> wow. And that was it. So you are both happy that you came back. Yeah, we really are. You know, uh, 11 years when I got here, the city looked very different. It was like a non-city, which was strange coming from L.A. It was very strange. It was weird because, like, you go out at night and back home, you, you don't even, I don't even think about what we're going to just go out and we'll, but here, it's like, you better plan that well in advance because you had, like, two options, maybe three. And you had to recycle those options so that they felt new, you know, every once in a while. 
but not that way now. Right. No. No story now. Yeah, now you don't have to plan. You can just see where the night Just about. You. you can walk out onto a street and just figure out there, hey, what do I feel like doing? Or try somewhere new every exactly. time you go out because there's something new that was built since the last time. Exactly. It's a really cool experience. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. You turn a corner here and there's a new building. How did that get there? How true. Mm -hmm. I loved it. <laughs> Gosh, yeah, the real estate values, yeah, prices are... Are, they do. They seem so high in uh, Southern California compared to a place like this. Man, I was in a house living there in an apartment, and I call it a house because it was. It was like a three-floor mansion kind of a thing mm. that was probably built turn of the century, and at some, you know, it's valued probably at two or three million dollars now. But they cut it up into ten apartments, mm. and there were literally ten apartments in this house. So I had a fireplace, but the guy next to it shared the other side of the fireplace kind of a thing like it was wow. literally just yeah. just hodgepodge of rooms uh but it worked out but that's kind of what you have to do out there to make they almost made a single family home into multifamily. makes sense yeah makes sense that sounds like a great case study i'd love to sit down and understand <laughs> how they broke that out you know What's funny is y'all coming from California, like the pricing's great here, but then you have investors here that's like, okay, well, let's go a little further outside of Nashville. To, and y'all do that as well, yeah, even being in Nashville so to try to find even better deals because Nashville's, you know, continues to rise. You know, I had a really good mentor, though, that I still work with all the time, and he was speaking to that. And I never forgot this. He told me this about two years ago, and he said, price obviously is, is, is very important. But you have to recognize that it's the creativity that you do with the deal that determines the actual value of the deal and therefore what you should be paying for the property. Wow. And he said what happens is most investors, developers, real estate people, they get locked into a very specific concept of this is what you can do with property. Mm -hmm. So they associate a specific value that's commonly accepted and so typically they'll leave an area that still has a lot of opportunity in it because in their view the price has gone too high. But what they fail to see is the reason the price has gone too high is because now there's a new opportunity or a new use for that land. It has a potential to be used for something different that is a higher value. That naturally, it should be. So case in point, yeah. I mean a real simple case for instance is the whole HPR zoning in Nashville which mm -hmm. allows for the tear down of one house to build for two. Well, that's not a given and a no-brainer obvious thing. Mm -hmm. This was stumbled across, literally, maybe five, six years ago, something wow. like that. Like almost accidental. It wasn't like this has been going on forever where somebody realized, they looked at the books, they looked at the zoning code, and they said, hey, wait a second. <laughs> if we and then and da da da, then we could. And that was it, right? And suddenly these houses had an unbelievable, suddenly, hey, I was negotiating at thirty thousand. I'll now give you fifty thousand for your house, and I'm still getting an amazing deal for your house. So it's like you have to look at highest and best potential use of that property. And I'm always driven by the by the price. I want to stress that, but I'm I'm probably just as much driven by what's happening in the market around, mm -hmm. and how can we take advantage of that. So do you? Do you feed off of other investors and what they're doing, or is it like, do you just have a dream and you go, you know, I think we could try this? Uh, yeah, it's definitely a definitely a mixture of both. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to see what other people are doing because it's a lot of 
property. I mean, it's huge. No matter, you know, you can go out as far as you want and take a street, a block, an area, a city, a county. It doesn't matter, but there's always external forces that are working, other developments and projects, and everyone's always seeing something that you're missing. That's why they're doing what they're doing, where they're doing it, and how they're doing it. And so you really want to discover and understand who are they taking care of? Is there a synergy? So, hey, you're going to build a 300-unit apartment complex. There's no storage around here. Well, shoot, I need to put up a storage complex then, you know. Or you're going to build, you know, 150 single-family residential homes. Well, man, there's no commercial for them to go to. There's no restaurants, retail. Well, shoot, let me put something up that makes sense there. So I think you, I, I really want to, I want to feel the ocean or the wave around me first. What's happening? And then, how can I fill a gap but do it in an iconic or visionary way? Then you fill that gap or that void, right? And then I think that's how you really create a community that begins to make sense and, and works together well. Uh, you talked more and more about your developments now in North Nashville. Yeah. And about some of the restaurants that were in there, you know, started up as you were doing your thing. You kind of said, oh, hey, I wonder if these guys will still be around. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Could you speak some more about making that opportunity work with what it is that you're already doing? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of the North Nashville area. It was where I did my very first project. And every sense, and I've just thought it's a great area. It's a great community. From a development standpoint, it's right in the path of the last major wave of real estate development within the urban core. Like that's it. Wow. And the urban core is essentially established. Um, from a redevelopment perspective, it's amazing to go into an area and to see like the crime rate there is is staggering. It's highest crime rate in the whole city. 42% of the households are led by single women. Mm. Um, it's, it's, it's a devastated area, right? But now there's this opportunity to begin to turn and to change that through real estate. And you cannot fix it through policing and politicking. Uh, it's a drug problem. Mm. And drugs is a business. It's bottom line, it's business. <laughs> and it you is. change the face of the real yeah. estate and you eliminate the opportunity for that kind of business and the community begins to change for it. Wow. You know, so that's exciting to see. So I got started there building residential homes. And at the time, there was no commercial along the Buchanan Street corridor where I'm now working. No. None. Right? I don't remember any. There's really none. Yeah. David Crabtree from Brookside Properties was a real visionary, and he went in three years ago, bought an old grocery store on the corner of 9th and Buchanan that everyone now knows as the White Building, painted <laughs> it black and white, mid-century modern, and put in these five really high-end tenants. How he convinced them to go there, I, I have no, there was nothing there at the time, but that is a true developer. David's an amazing guy, and uh, he had a vision for that whole area, that whole street, right? Mm -hmm. And um, it was him that put Slim and Huskies in as well, too. He got the building, did the, helped them with the tenant improvement, just believed in these guys to go in there and, and, to, and to kill it. Well, at the time, I looked on and I thought, you know what? It's way too early. Yeah. Like you cannot take one business, a new business, 
and drop it into a developing area alone and have people go there as a destination. You need more than that. And I was so wrong. <laughs> I was so glad. I, I mean, I was like totally, totally wrong, you know. I didn't eat there for six months because I, I couldn't. The line was like an hour to get in, like literally. Wow. That's how everybody would have thought going in. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? <laughs> absolutely. But those guys are amazing operators, too. Um, Derek and those guys over there are like, they're they're unbelievable at what they do. And like their background story is, it's it's absurd that they were able to pull this off. But they really, their concept, it was great. So I recognized that if they were successful alone, there was an opportunity to develop that corridor. And what happens now when you do create a destination experience? And what can you do there that's unique? that You won't see anywhere else in the city. And that you can even create a national exposure. That, that kind of a feel and that kind of an energy. And all of the things added up, location, price and it was just everything and so it's become a real focus for for what it is that I'm working on and I think when I heard you speak a couple months ago you talked about that being or parts of that being part of the opportunity zones across yeah the largest there. opportunity zone in in Nashville mm. is the North Nashville area so that encompasses Jefferson Street going all the way north up to where Rosa Parks ends Rosa Parks is sort of a turns into a circle yeah. kind of and flows into Clarksville Pike. So it's the largest, I believe it's the largest in the city. Wedgwood Houston or parts of it is the, is the second largest. Mm-hmm. So it's a huge opportunity right now. Yeah. They're supposed to, well, I've heard rumors that they're building bridges out to kind of continue to develop that area and easier to get. To yeah. Um, I know, I know Ed Ewing <laughs> is, is working like pretty, like that's his thing. He wants to definitely see a bridge that actually connects the Trinity Corridor coming into the downtown area as well. Whether it'll happen or not, I don't know. It, it needs to happen. I mean, the circulation of people that that would create would be yes. profound. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of political bandwidth and capital in order to pull that off. It does. So, you know, I guess we should, we'll see. Yeah. I guess we look out that we're also the state capital, so... They don't have to go too far to get the yeses or noes about crossing a major waterway like that with another right. structure. If you're in the Nashville area, please join us for the monthly Middle Tennessee Investors and Wholesalers Network Happy Hour. Two hours of pure networking and deal making. You'll meet brand new investors and wholesalers, all the way up to those that buy hotels. You can find more information and sign up on our website at corkscrewsandcontracts.com. Don't miss it. Be sure to register for our Investor's Playbook, Flipping 101. That's at Bar Louie in the Gulch, Nashville, March 28th at 6.30 p.m. Tickets are limited, so get your seat at our website, corkscrewsandcontracts.com. Again, that's March 28th at 6.30, and you can register now at corkscrewsandcontracts.com. We'll see you there. Just to kind of change gears a little bit, I know we've all made our mistakes in real estate uh, flipping (laughs) or whether it be buying holds or things like that, and they end up being funny learning experiences. Um, So (laughs) what is something that you have done that you were like, I can never do this again? 
<laughs> this uh, was a mistake I learned from, and I don't want to do it again. <laughs> like, so many. I actually, now, I'll have people, and they'll come, and sometimes they'll say, I want to get into real estate. What do you want to do? I want to be a developer. No, you do not. <laughs> like, literally, there are so many better ways to do this. Like, you don't want to be a developer. Um, so, like... One of the dumbest things that I ever did was on my very first project, I had a good project manager, you know, but he was kind of really good at building and then fairly good at other things. And, <laughs> and he told me he could pick the paint colors on the exterior of the house. I didn't know any better and I thought, all right. So he did really good on the first two, knocked it out the park but not so good on the second two. He painted the second two like a like a pastel lime green, which on the beach would have looked awesome in the oh. middle of North Nashville infill urban development. I remember I walked out and I was like, what is this? He's like, you'll love it, don't worry. He said, ask the neighbor, they love it. So I went over to the neighbor. Well, the neighbor, this is one of those neighbors where if they approve of it, you should not do it. And that was... Those neighbors. So my agent who I hired, an amazing agent, Erin Kruger, I'm going to name drop her. She's unbelievable. There you go. Yeah, she comes out and this is our very first time. This is the first property she ever sold because it was my first project, right? She looks at it and says, okay, what do you think? And she says, well, the first two houses are great. She says, do you want to sell these other two houses? Do you want to sell them? I'm like, well, yeah, that's why you're here. And she's like, well, the paint is horrible. <laughs> And I'm like, well, what are you saying? Are you telling me to repaint the house? She's like, no, I'm just asking if you want to sell them or not. If you want to keep them, just leave them like they are. I'm like, you're telling me to repaint my house. She's like, no, I'm just asking if you want to keep them or sell them. She's telling me to repaint my house. So I called and I repainted the house. Just painted, I repainted it again. And they sold. She sold all of them within seven days. She sold every single house that we had. So that's the laughing joke now. It took me a long. It took me a lot of houses and a lot of projects to finally, for her no longer to bring that up every single time we sat down. You know, like you painted your house green, lime pastel, lime green. Okay, so do not feel bad because I've been that agent with Wyatt. <laughs> yes, I got to the house and it was bright pastel. Yellow. Yellow. All right. And I was yeah. like, oh, yeah. that's right. the color you picked. Great. Yep. Great. Um, I walk inside, pastel, bright blue. Yeah. Awesome. Along like, with the pastel yellow throughout. It's like robin's egg blue, maybe, if that's a thing. I said, I'm it pretty was... sure an Easter egg threw up in here. <laughs> Did you want to sell this house? That was my exact words. Yeah, Did you want to sell this house or... And he's like, yes. I was like, I don't think we can do this. Happen. So. No. It was changed same day. Same day. Yeah. Same day. That's what it takes. And we had a color choice that she brought. Uh, Jennifer brought it. It was amazing. It was like, oh. And then it became the blue house. But it was a good, like a navy, almost. It was a deeper blue. It was like blue. a deeper blue. Mm. And, uh, and then the inside became a real light. What do you call it? It was like a grayish blue, or well, it white. was like a yeah, but more like a, a more like an eggshell with a little bit of like white with a little cream in it. There you go. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and I bet it actually sold. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. it looked totally. a lot better. 
Yeah. Okay. So it was great for marketing yeah. because it got because of the neighborhood. It was in Madison. Because of the neighborhood, it really stood out. Mm-hmm. So everybody knew it as like the blue house. But um, I mean, it was a color. People were like, "Wow, I like that you did something different." Mm-hmm. And versus like, "Whoa, that's yeah. nice." And, right. <laughs> and, I, and I was trying to pick a color that was kind of like the neighbors' colors. I said, "I don't want to overdo this," but and I really did overdo it. I did not just go get a swatch <laughs> off of their house and say, "Can you make more of this?" I mean, it was terrible. And the worst thing when we first pulled up, they were putting vinyl on uh, on the top, the eaves. And it was still the brown from the manufacturer. So they really thought I went crazy. Oh. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, no, it'll be repainted. But no, the rest of the house was a terrible yellow wow. color. Yeah. Point being, color matters. Yeah. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, I've, <laughs> since that time, I have become a huge, I'm hugely involved in the design process. <laughs> like, hugely involved. No, like, I am not painting any more houses again. No. <laughs> once done, do it right the first time. Measure twice, cut once, right? That's right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, you should have seen me. I was in the, I was painting extra uh, bits on the house, different colors, and there were three women standing there going, yeah. No, that's not it. Yeah, okay. And then all three agreed, and I go, okay, we're done. That's it. That's it. <laughs> I've got it now. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's my mom, Jennifer, and our general contractor. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Uh, so much of, of being a developer is thinking about all the other angles that come together for one project. Uh, how much of your day is spent collecting all those other angles? You know, you're not necessarily swinging a hammer. Mm-hmm. But you're having what meetings and and analyzing deals. Tell us a little about that. What is your day like? I mean, that's really like the entirety of my day is is like a, is a puzzle. You know, I mean, if you look at a project, you have those variables that are completely outside of your control, and your job is to understand those variables and reflexively respond to them. You have interest rates. You have market people's natural appetites and desires they change and they tend to change midway through a project a project may take 12 to 36 months to deliver and there's no reason why when that project was first designed that same group doesn't decide we want something different now when you deliver that project you have variables like business outside of real estate stock market, politics, you have all of these various things that really have a huge impact on what you're going to do. So you kind of have to keep a pulse on that. You can't overthink it because it's outside of your capacity. Uh, But then you have things that are within your control that require sitting. I spend a lot of time with meetings. At this point, I've had to almost carve out Monday as just a day to meet. I pretty much, unless it's really important, will try not to do too many more meetings throughout the week. Um, but in meetings, I mean, I'm, you're sitting with money, bankers, investors, partners, you're sitting with think tanks. That's, that's becoming a more and more part of my time. Other developers, builders, contractors, agents, designers, architects, because they're feeding into me and they're informing me of if it's a builder, what's happening in the world of cost and labor. It's an architect. Well, What's possible now in design? What are you seeing and not seeing? Designer, what colors are making sense? If it's an agent, you know, what are homes selling for? Commercial agent, what are they leasing for? Mm-hmm. It's a commercial agent. 
what are they leasing for? But who's the cool tenant right now? Like, who's the under who's the underground restaurant tour that maybe doesn't have a brick and mortar, but has an amazing social media following and has a food truck out there, but they're wanting to get into some cool space, and, and you know. Or if it's a group, like what's the political landscape in this area here and, and who's coming in as the council person? And so that's more and more as well. Um, analyzing deals is important, but one of the things that has helped me to be able to narrow that time down is I'm very focused on where I am going to operate. Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of deals that I don't even look at, mm -hmm. not because they're not good, but because it's outside the purview of my area. Because I'm focusing on my area, the amount of deals that I'm now having to look at are just smaller and smaller, but larger and larger. And I can underwrite them better because I know a lot of the variables that you'd otherwise have to know. What's the market there? What's the land price there? What's being sold? What's not? Well, I know all of that. So now I can just look at the deal for itself and determine how it fits into to my portfolio. And then this year, I have to take the next step, and I'll begin hiring more people in-house uh, so that my bandwidth can be spent more and more on strategizing and probably for the foreseeable year or two, raising more capital. Do you have, when you're analyzing these deals or when you're, you can't get something off your mind but you need like an outside source they say it's good to have this like one go-to person sometimes they say it's good to have like the opposite sex to go to because you know they look at things different or things like do you have somebody you go to to say like can you look at this too yeah um i have i just sat with a guy today that's the former vice president of beezer and del webb wow right and i just i mean tom's a neat guy like i met him when i first got started so just nice, down to earth. He had just retired, and uh, he builds infill stuff as well. He probably builds 10, 12 homes a year as a retired guy and travels a lot. He's <laughs> right over in Germantown, you know. So I've got this development that we're working on, and uh, it's it'll have a large subdivision arm to it. So I wanted to sit with Tom, and I'm like, hey, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? And he gave me a whole other perspective on it. Um, Every deal that I do mm -hmm. always goes through my agent, my builder, my architect and engineer, always, right? Wow. And designer, always. And then usually I'll find, I, I have mentors as well that I might bring up the deal to in general, like, hey, what do you think about this? What does it look like? Um, and then obviously the bank. Um, I want the <laughs> bank's opinion to a degree. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes they're not as conservative as I think that they should be, to be honest with you, in, in how they underwrite the deal. That's interesting, <laughs> That is interesting. Because they only see it from a very narrow perspective, mm -hmm. which is their debt. As long as their debt can get repaid, it's a good deal. Mm. Get it done. And they've know? worked with you so much, they know it's going to... Which is a bad thing at some point, right. because I make mistakes. And so having someone there... That is not interested in me as a person, they're interested in the deal, mm -hmm. right? It's important. So I run it through all of these filters by the time I say, all right, I think that's a deal that now we can get creative with and figure something out. So much of uh, what's going on uh, nationally with the, uh, I guess, you know, 
there's like a building race going on right now, just in general, um, especially in the Nashville market, things are moving faster and faster. What is and how has that affected your your business as far as you know what it costs to build this house today? It may be more in six months. Mm-hmm. How, can you tell us a little bit about that? So the the net value of the increase of price and things like that has been good, you know, but it's it's cautious and it's it's unnerving. Uh, the cost of materials rose massively in two thousand and. and 18 but has declined somewhat since with the relief of some tariffs and things like that lumber was a huge one I mean, we actually ran out of lumber at one point third quarter wow. of a third or fourth quarter of 2000 third quarter 2018 and i mean like on our projects for instance like, there was no lumber not only on ours another gone it's finished right what? um that's yeah, we didn't... that's that's a problem that's a real problem labor costs going up and things like that land prices increasing so for me it's that whole creativity with your property and, and there's certain markets or not markets so much but there's certain real estate types that i will not be involved with at this point because it's not financially viable others will mm-hmm. they squeeze their margins and they and they try but it just doesn't really make sense you know so it has forced me to go into some other directions uh, with certain product types in the real estate where it can still work and I can still work in the Nashville urban area. Um, and it's also caused me to get into larger projects. Smaller projects are riskier and difficult to make pens sometimes, but a larger project typically is going to give you more leeway um, and somewhat more scale, which can help with cost and things like that. So often, uh, especially people that are, you know, flipping is so popular these days. And (laughs) I mean, I'll admit that's where I got started. So there we go. Uh, And there's only a few calculations in there as far as what's the purchase price? What's my holding costs? uh, What's it going to take to rehab this house to get it up to the level? And then hope and pray you get it all done in time before either that loan comes due or somebody doesn't like the yellow house that you painted, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, versus when you're doing uh, new construction uh, development, you know, there's like a pro forma and you have to think about not only the, the cost of the land, but, you know, what does the city want from you? Because they're going to want things for sidewalks and, mm-hmm. and uh, stormwater retention and, and all that. How do you factor that in? Is that another member of your team that thinks of that too? Or... Can I, can I just laugh for one second? Yeah. Because he started with flips, and you hate flips. Yeah, I am not. <laughs> and I was laughing like, he not doesn't a, like Not flips. a fan. Not a fan. They're terrifying. They're terrifying. Yeah, um, I like that excitement right terrifying, there. Terrifying, terrifying. I will do, like, I will do, shout out to Maddie Wyatt at Wyatt Design Build. I will do, like, a full-scale renovation that may as well be a ground up construction project <laughs> mm-hmm. purely as a side project I mean it's not written into any business model it's not a part of what I do do yeah. but as like a passion project I'm doing my second one right now wow. that's, that's enjoyable but trying to create it as a business model is no oh goodness no. <laughs> that's a terrifying idea I can't even no it's, <laughs> 
I'd be out of business in a week doing that, you know. Wow. Um, but yeah, there are. There's a lot of parts to juggle in the development aspect. There really is. And it's, again, it's it's a team sport. Um, it just is. It's, it's a huge team sport, getting everybody on board. I've got some people that are great with working with the city. And they've got just great connections. And it's like, well, either tell me what to say or I need you to go say this, you know. Or what's the city's plan for this area? Or even finding property, for instance. Yeah, that's that's a whole system in into itself. And I'm not great at that, but I've got really good people that I trust and trust me. And I pick up the phone and say, I just had a conversation today. It was a key piece of property that I absolutely had to have to sort of finish this cap of this development that I want to do. And this guy had been working on this for me for like a year, year and a half. And he called me today and says, we got it. We'll get it taken care of. I says, you know, fantastic. That works. And so while I'm talking to him, we're also talking to the city about, okay, we're going to have to get this rezoned. I'm also talking to the bank and the financial partners. Okay, we're going to need this amount of cap. And it's, it is sort of like a musical chairs of sort of, but it is ultimately the rehab concept. Huh. <laughs> Got to find it, buy it, update it or, or whatever, repair it, you know, bring it up to what it should be. And then I got to exit. I got to sell it. And I got to be sure that I sell it for more than I paid for it. Mm. And just a few extra parts, but same basic concept. Because mm-hmm. I get to design mine from the ground up. So yes. I don't have any, <laughs> not as many surprises, yes. at least during the construction <laughs> phase, at least. If you'd like to be an on-air guest, ask questions, give ideas or feedback for the podcast, Sign up on our website at corkscrewsandcontracts.com and let us hear about it. The thought out in the general sphere, and especially people that love real estate and follow it and read all the books and the whole bit is, you know, as a developer, life must be super easy. You know, like the first few deals are going to be rough and everything. But after that, you know, it's it's private jets and champagne and, and everything's <laughs> awesome. So when do we get to that? Is that like a thing? Um, I will say that like, so when I started, I had $400 to my name. I have more than that now. And there's, there are definitely financial benefits to being a good developer within real estate. That's definitely true. But there's massive risk involved as well, too. And there's a lot of responsibility that's ultimately involved in it. And it's not easy. It's not at all. Um, it's just not an easy thing to do. And a person has to really be, you have to have that kind of mentality where you're okay with stress and maybe even operate well or better under stress. And you can deal with a multiple of different issues. Mm-hmm. And everything is always problematic. Mm. Like it always is problematic. I realized that at some point, it's never really working out right, ever. Like ultimately, you're just trying to solve problems constantly until the deal is finally done and then the problems are finally solved. But throughout the whole project, it's problem solving constantly. So dealing with all of that, there has to be a financial motive that's strong enough to say, all right, I'll go put it on the line and I'll go and, and I'll try to get this done. You know, but there is a freedom that's involved with that as well too. It's it's a cool thing to do. It's, it, there is a, a very big fun factor 
to it as well. I spent Saturday downtown visiting different restaurants and coffee shops and oh, stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but it's work, but it's fun. And I, but I'm doing it. Why? Because I have to see like, well, what's out there? What are people right. what are people doing and stuff, you know? And it's neat when someone says, What do you do for like, well, I'm a developer. <laughs> That's nice, but this is, so you, you, you're a real estate agent. This is, no, I'm, I'm a developer. This is, well, can you sell my house? This is, no, I'm a real estate agent, but I don't sell anyone's houses. Just my own house. Got one house and I'll sell Terrible agent. Yes, I am a terrible agent. No one really knows what you do as a developer. Right. Yeah. So um, we have listeners, you know, that are might want to get started all the way up to, you know, are already, you know, in real estate and, you know, doing doing their own thing, but this is something we've even struggled with recently, expanding your, this. well, and let me backtrack, becoming a developer kind of, you. my understanding was you kind of fell into it, but then it ended up happening fast for you, that's correct, yeah, right? Yeah, okay, so. <laughs> so wrapping your head as around everything as you're growing is, is tough, like expanding your mind to like, this is life now, this is way out of my comfort zone, I am now having to, to adjust to this, um, and even getting a bigger mindset financially and stuff as you grow, um, is yeah. that something you experienced and how did you deal with that? Yeah, I experience it now, wow. you know, um, so like the tip, the deal size that I'm involved in now is typically somewhere between three and ten million dollars. Mm-hmm. That's not a very large deal size. That's 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 like a that, that's a miscellaneous line item. If you have a hundred million dollar deal, you have a ten percent contingency. It's ten million dollars. Wow. It's just small, right? So I'm constantly thinking like, well, I do want to grow, and I have various reasons why. Mm-hmm. So I have to sort of always break the mold, which is an uncomfortable place to be in. You have to always sort of be in this ignorant position. Mm-hmm. It's nice to be in a position where you actually know something and you can stop. But if you're going to grow, you always are in a very uncomfortable position. It's just how it is until you hit whatever that mark or that goal finally is. But I think because I understand that, I'm okay with that, you know. And what I have learned is you have to learn something that you absolutely need for that specific moment or issue, and then immediately go and use it. Like don't learn it and then just sit on it. And by immediately, I mean like, I'll give you an example. When I got started, I started talking to some people about funding, and the guy used a term I had never heard before, a term waterfall. He said, he said what's the waterfall gonna be on this deal? I had no clue what he was talking about. Like, no, I'm thinking waterfall, this is not a water-related project. I was in swimming there. But he was a big funder, and I was fond of saying at that time, if I didn't know something, hey, hold on, I'll get back to you on that. I haven't figured it out yet. I went home and I Googled, there's a waterfall in real estate. And sure enough, I learned what a waterfall was. And there was all these rabbit trails, obviously, because you start asking more questions as I'm studying and Googling this. I would read and study something like that until I didn't just know what it meant, but I understood the concept of it. Let's say I learned that on Monday. Well, on Tuesday, I'm picking up the phone and I'm saying, all right, Jim, look, here's the waterfall structure on this. is the developer, it's the GP. I'm going to get, I'll, it'll be 90-10. You'll take 90% until you get your principal back. Plus, we'll give you a 6% pref on your return. 
Once we do that, we'll do a 70-30 thresh and so on and so on. And I'm understanding now what I'm saying. And so he says, yeah, we'll do it. We won't do it. Whatever. It doesn't matter. But I'm constantly in this phase of as soon as I realize I don't know something, I go back, I learn it, and then I, I use it. And that has caused my, I think, my retention of, of learning to go probably a lot faster and, and than other people maybe have been doing it longer, but they're just not utilizing the new or putting themselves in a situation that requires that they know more information than they did before. Right. That's great advice. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I'm going to go Google something right now. <laughs> yeah, definitely Google it and, and use it. <laughs> Uh, for someone that wants to get into what you're doing, what would you recommend would be their first step? Um, like, really ask why, like what's the motive, and you know, you don't have to have like a, I think a complete answer, because that's going to change, but like really dial in, like what are my other options, like why do I want to do this? It's not an easy thing to do. And then if possible, go find somebody to work for. Like, mm-hmm. the whole thing about finding a free mentor is a... Maybe you'll stumble into it, okay? <laughs> but it's difficult. Like if someone came to me and said, hey, I want you to be my mentor. I'd be like, I don't even know what that looks like. That does. I'm not a trained mentor person, and I don't have a lot of time. I'll sit with you and have coffee or whatever, but like what you're trying to get from me. So I'll give you an example. One of the gentlemen that's probably one of the biggest mentors in my life, the guy has like a billion dollars in property, literally. He's, been, he's an amazing guy, right? He'll open up, he'll talk to me about anything. I've been talking to him for a year. And I said, look, I want to do a deal with you. And he said, why? And I said, because I need to get more into your head and understand what you're doing. He said, I'll sit with you and tell you anything. You don't have to do a deal with me. I said, yeah, I know. But if I do a deal with you, it changes our relationship now. This isn't going to be a favor anymore. Hmm. He said, okay, so I'm doing a deal with you now. Two deals with you. And the course of our relationship automatically changes, you know. So if you can work with someone or preferably for someone, if you have no value add other than your labor, mm-hmm. and I don't recommend just saying, let me give you something free, take time and understand their business first mm-hmm. and then go and say, okay, this is your business. I've read about you, studied you. I've sat and had coffee with you. Here's two places I think I can fill in your business and help you out. This is what I would charge, but I'll give you a discounted rate. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna charge you something. And in lieu of that, I want to spend time with you and understand how you operate. Do that for six months or a year and then decide how is it that you're going to get involved in doing real estate. Great. Yeah. Well, it's been a blast being here. Even in the few minutes I've been with you guys, I've learned quite a bit as well. So, no, thanks for having me. This has been a production of Corks Crews and Contracts. Podcast copyright 2019.